I'm not going to wait. I'm going to pass everyone on the right and sneak back in before the semi. And that guy drives me crazy, right? I want to track that guy down and I want to talk to his parents, okay? And so, um, and, and then the, th- the third one that just, again, just, it just lights, lights me up, okay? Is, is if you're driving and you have a train of people behind you and you don't pull off to the side of the road, okay? Like if you're going down to Sedona and you're driving 25, you need to get over, okay? Or just crash, okay? Like <laughs> it just... <laughs> I lose it. Like, my heart, Verity will be in the car, and she's like, are you okay? And I'm, like, hyperventilating because I get so mad about this. And so in, my, in the past, before as a Christian, the way I used to handle it was usually some choice words, a horn, and some fingers. And so, um, <laughs> and, and then I got saved. And so now I try and, and, and love them with kindness, okay? Uh, and, and the way that usually embodies itself is um, I will find a way to pull alongside the side of that car, uh, and get them to roll down their window. Um, and the best is when I'm with Verity, because if you don't know my wife, she's a British South African, so she's the least confrontational person on the planet. Brits hate that for some reason. And so I'll pull up, the car will be there, my wife's sitting here, and I'll roll down her window. And she is like sneaking back like this. And I'll go, hey man, having a bad day? Are you having a bad day? And they're like, what's going on, you know? And I'm like, because if you're having a good day, you would have waved. <laughs> this happens every week, okay? Now, that's an anger problem. <laughs> and it's not okay, right? Uh, and it's not okay because it's driven by what? My own selfishness. Uh, it, it's driven by my own pride. It's driven by an own kind of protection of my time and my space and my plan and my desire and, and my, 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 my. And what we're going to find out about anger is anger righteously cannot be about you. And it can't be about me. Okay? And, and so we're going we're gonna to push against that. So the reason why I bring up that such a kind of low, kind of silly story is, man, if we struggle with this, right? Like if, if, I, if I get anger in my heart when a guy doesn't wave at me, and surely there's these other things that I need to address and begin to work through on a bigger macro level, right? That actually have true impact and weight uh, on, on our world, on our life, and on, on uh, just everything we do, I guess. So um, here's the way we're going to address this. It's a short couple verses, 26 and 27. Even last week, we just did verse 25, and I was talking with Randy, one of our elders, and he's, he, read, you know, he comes to church. He says, oh, just one verse. We'll be out of here in 30 minutes. I said, oh, not so fast, friend. And so uh, this week, we have two verses, but it's going to take us a while to get through because it's so deep. Um, and so the way we're going to address this is through the, the vision or the, um, the illustration of a sandbox. Now, we've talked about this here before, but a sandbox is a beautiful thing if you have kids. Okay, because what you can tell to a kid is you say, listen up, kid, uh, you see this big sandbox? Do whatever you want to do in the sandbox, right? Play with toys, bury yourself, bury your brother, eat sand, won't kill you. Doesn't matter. Just do not leave the sandbox, right? Like, don't go outside the four walls of this box because outside here is other stuff we don't want you to get into, right? So live inside the sandbox. So we're going to talk about righteous anger through the lens of a sandbox, right? That there's all this room for your anger to fester in a righteous way, but it has to stay within the four walls of biblical scripture and what it mandates for what our anger is supposed to look like, okay? So here we go. Verse 26, part A says this, be angry and do not sin. Now, this is what's really, really interesting about this part of the verse, okay? 
is that what you have here is not one imperative, but two imperatives. Okay? Two separate commands from Paul. This isn't, hey, when you're angry, don't sin. It is two separate imperatives grammatically from Paul. So he's literally saying, on one hand, be angry. Christian, be angry. There are things that are supposed to anger us. And then the second imperative, in the midst of it, don't sin. So let's break these down. The first imperative, to be angry. Now, this is just an interesting thing because this is probably not what you were often taught growing up in Sunday school, that you should have anger welling up in your heart. But the question has to become then, but for what? Like, how does this anger? So the, the first wall of our sandbox is the how. Okay, how do we practice righteous anger? I want to share a quote with you. It's by this guy, Paul Miller. He wrote a book called A Praying Life, uh, a book called Love Walked Among Us that are both phenomenal. I highly recommend them to you. And so you can follow along with the quote on the, on the page or on the screen, but let me read. He says this, Remarkably, Jesus never gets angry when people hurt him. The very point where we might blow our stacks. Even on another occasion when the Pharisees call him demon-possessed, he responds matter-of-factly. Because he holds on to his time and schedule so lightly, he doesn't get irritated at being interrupted. Because he owns so little, he has little fuel for the fire. Yet, he gets upset with injustice and hypocrisy in others. When compassion is blocked, his anger is centered on others' welfare. He also gets upset with anything that inhibits faith. The disciples block the faith of the little children. The money changers block the faith of the non-Jews. Jesus gets angry at anything that prevents love to people, compassion, or dependence on God, faith. Okay, so, so what does righteous anger, what, what is Paul talking about when he is imploring Christians to be angry, which seems something so opposite to the driving ethic of the kingdom when he's calling you to be frustrated and these things to up inside you saying, be angry, but about others' welfare, not primarily your own. So, so, so when things begin to impede upon you, that's not when anger is supposed to rise up. It's when, 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 when things begin to impede upon Jess and Cosmo, Right? When, when, when things begin to impede uh, upon, upon uh, this whole section over here, this section should care about what's going on over here and well up in anger because there's injustice happening with this group of people. That's, that's the anger. That's what you see in the life of Christ. Isn't it? When people came directly at him and these kind of things where normally we get really frustrated, he didn't care so much. But as soon as there was an attack upon him or others that would impede the flourishing of people, that's when Jesus started to get upset. And we're going to share a few stories about him in just a little bit. But see, there is a how to your righteous anger. It, it's not just be angry about whatever you think you should be angry about. It, it's not anger based on your vision of justice. It's not anger based on your value system. That's a big one. It's not getting frustrated and angry because it's not working out the way you think it's supposed to. It's anger based on it imposing upon the ethics of the kingdom of God which cares for the other before itself. So, that's Jesus. That's the how. Now, that's the first imperative, right? But the second imperative is, well, then don't sin in that anger. Don't let that anger rule you. Don't let it come out in vile speech. 
things that are very obvious, right? Don't allow that anger, right, to go beyond where it moves out of the welfare of the other and is more about the welfare of the self, oftentimes at the imposition of the welfare of the other. So church, listen, we, we are to be an angry people. We are to be a frustrated people with the sin and the brokenness and the injustice of our world that hurts and plagues our nation, our city, our churches because it impedes the glory and the image of God imprinted upon man and woman. That should frustrate us. That, that, that should cause this righteous indignation in the people of God to say, that's not right. Because out of anger, there's action. And there can be righteous action driven out of righteous anger. And so that's why you get this imperative from Paul. So how does this work itself out? How do we do this? So anger happens, right? So we, you often can't control, right, when anger just occurs in your heart. It's a feeling, right? You just respond. Your, your heart feels something. Your mind processes it. And that's a, but you have to do something with that thought. You just don't allow that emotion to go there and you just let it travel itself. No, no, no. We are to take hold of that emotion and we are to use it for his glory, our joy, and the benefit of the other. And so we see in Psalm 4, 1 through 5, which you guys might not realize, but Paul is actually quoting Psalm 4 when he implores the church here in Ephesus to be angry and not sin. So this psalm, written a couple thousand years before, says this. Answer me when I call. That's a thousand years. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. So he's talking to God in the first two verses, or in the first verse. Then in verse two, he switches to talking to the people around him. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. So, so notice what's going on in this psalm. Like this, the psalmist is writing and he's talking to God first, but then he turns upon his fellow man and says, why are you guys always coming after me? Why do you treat me so poorly? Why do you speak of me in such terrible ways? So what you have here is, is this man writing this psalm who is having things said about him that are probably not true. And yet here, here's his desire, right? Be angry and do not sin. And what all within the, the context of trusting in the Lord. So he's like, listen, okay, so, so when people come, so whatever the things that are drive you crazy, what's the guy that's pulling in front of you, we're talking bigger level picture stuff, stuff that really gets you going. Maybe it's, oh man, but you don't know, this person, you don't know what they're saying about me, okay? Oh, I don't know what they're saying about him, but it seemed to be his application was to be patient, was to sit back, was to trust in the Lord and not sin. And not allow his anger to move him to a place where he stopped caring about the welfare of the other. And so what do we do? What do we do when this anger rises up in us? We stop, we pray, we trust Jesus, we remind ourselves of the gospel that says, I do not need to justify myself right now because I'm already justified by the gospel of Jesus Christ that says I'm forgiven, set free, made new, etc., etc., etc. 
And so you don't need justification from the guy who cut you off. You don't need a wave like I think I do. What I need to do is preach the gospel to myself in that moment, trust him, and then respond in a way that blesses the other instead of myself. That's what the gospel calls us to. That type of pursuit, that type of love, we care for the other more than ourselves. That is the how of righteous anger. So let's look at the next part, the next rail in our sandbox. Part B to verse 26. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. So if that was the how of righteous anger on one side, this is the when of righteous anger. So when does this happen? There's a context for this righteous anger to exist. And it should exist within the frame of as soon as you can. Now, you kind of wonder, "Ah, how literally do we take this, right? And this is the question that comes up all the time in marital counseling. So we'll sit down with, 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 a, with a couple like, hey, I just have a cure. You know, like, when we fight, do we have to like have it all figured out before the night's over? Because usually, and this is God's sovereignty, I think, he seems to match up people where one's like, hey, we need to talk about this. And the other one's like, no, we need to go to bed, right? Uh, and, and so that's at least, that's my household. Right? He's like, hey, can we talk? I'm like, well, we could sleep. Um, and things will be better in the morning, right? Uh, which is, is pro- she's probably right. See, see, there's an expedience. This isn't necessarily meant to be taken literally. If you take it completely literally, what happens if you get a fight at 10 o'clock? The sun's already down. Then you're just totally hosed, right? <laughs> so what it's trying to say is there is an expedient reality to how you handle your anger. That if there is frustration, if there is anger in your heart, you try and figure that out as soon as you can. And you bring about reconciliation to any of the relationships that exist. Now, when it gets to macro levels, though, when we start talking about the things that I think the church is supposed to be angry about. Like, like we, listen, we should be so angered and frustrated by the child trafficking realities of our culture and our world. Like, that, listen, that should cause the church to absolutely lose it. Like, we should absolutely be freaking out that there are men, women, and children without absolute necessity in our world. Like, that, that type of injustice should cause us to freak out. But instead, we're upset because the music's too loud. Or the music's too quiet. Or, and I'm not saying, no, you guys brought up the AC thing. I get it. Like, it's too hot here. It is. I'm like crazy sweating right now. I find that, and listen, and this, I'm, I'm like indictment number one right here. Like, the stuff I complain about, it's like, jeez, what lens do I view my life in the world? The things that anger and frustrate me tend to be more about kind of my small little things that make my life inconvenient and not these major things that make some people's lives impossible. This should grieve the church. The suicide rates in our culture continue to increase. It should grieve us, right, that there are people throughout our world that don't know, right, that literally don't know if they'll make it through the day. For. And, and so listen, this is not, this is not, hey, let's just get in. It's like think through on a big picture level these things that we're supposed to care so dearly about. 
So listen, in the midst of those macro level things, how does this apply? It's let's get it done as soon as possible. We got people in our town, right, that are sleeping outside in the winter. And so some friends in here, I don't know if they want to be called out, but like some pe- really amazing people decided to figure out a shelter overflow situation for the homeless in our town in the winter so that when they can't or they get rejected from the local shelters, they go stay at local churches. Like that, that was something that was born out of Christians' minds to care for the homeless in our town. It could not wait, and so it got done. Like, there are dreams and visions building inside of you that sees brokenness and injustice in our world, and the time to address it is right now. It's to say, okay, how do we get this together? What conversations do we need to begin to have? Who needs to be in the room so we can organize and talk and get the financial realities where we can care for those who are hurting in our communities? It should anger and frustrate you to the point of action. And it should be done as soon as it can be done. So whether it's on the micro level, hey, you got in an argument, you're angry at something, figure that out. If it's on a macro level, hey, there's an issue where we need to engage with things that should break the hearts of the church, we need to engage, we need to do it right now. Okay, that's the win. The next one, <coughs> excuse me, the uh, third wall to our sandbox, the why of righteous anger. Verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. Now, let's just think, I want you to think through kind of even just the language that Paul, I think, intentionally and the Holy Spirit intentionally uses here. Listen, pursue righteous anger. Do not sin, okay? Do it quickly. Why? Because if you don't, Satan's plans and what he desires will be the ones that move forward and flourish. When we, when we live contrary to everything we've just heard, right, we give an opportunity for the one who is the enemy of God and of the world and of joy and of peace and of salvation. We give him a chance to distort, to lie, and to steal life from this world. So the why of, of righteous anger is it's the why of life. It's, no, no, instead of pushing forward the agenda and the, emission, and the mission of the enemy, we are to push forward what the agenda and the mission of our Savior. Now, let me read this first. James 1, 19 and 20 says this. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Again, that, that word produce, right? There's this production aspect to the way you and I live our lives. If we live our lives in a contrary nature to the gospel call, to the call of Scripture, we give an opportunity and we push forward the agenda of the one who is against us and against humanity, or, right, we, we live, we're slow to speak, slow to anger. The anger that we have is a righteous version, one that embodies the heart of Jesus and care for the other, and we push forward the mission of God. So why? Why is this anger thing such a big deal? Why is it even important that I care about what happens when I drive? I need to address that. Because the little things impact the big things and vice versa. We're all connected with one another, and so I need to care about that. Why? Not because, hey, in that moment, it's just such a big deal that I didn't want that I wanted a guy to raise. It's such a big deal because we are dealing with something on a far greater scope than me driving my vehicle in the morning. We're dealing with a God who is on mission to redeem a broken and lost world. 
so much so that he sent his only begotten son to this world to live, die, and raise that we could be given his spirit to walk just like him. Okay. So that's, that's the why. Now, the last part is the way. The way of righteous anger. And we've talked about this already in the first couple of weeks. And we'll talk about it in the next few weeks. And even the last sermon in this series within a series will be on love, right? It, it will literally be like put on love. But the whole way of this, the way that this works itself out, I think, is love. Now, how many people uh, went and did something for the 4th of July this week? Anybody? I mean, nobody? Fireworks? Did they do fireworks here? I was out of town. Did they do them? They didn't do them? That makes sense. We still have a town, so that's good. Okay. Um, so they did fireworks in California because uh, there's an ocean, and so it's great. Uh, so I was at Laguna Beach with my wife. That's where her parents live. And, uh, and so there's this spot where you can go, and, and we're just kind of standing up on this hill a little bit raised up, and you look down south uh, of Laguna, and you look north along the beach, and there must have been six or seven different fireworks displays all going off at the same time. Like, just brilliant, right? Like, it's just going, and there's different, there's, like, every gated community in Laguna, because that's what they do. They just, like, they have a competition with one who has the best show, which is great, because you just get a visit and see all of their pride coming out in fireworks. It's great. Um, and so, uh, and so we're just there, and, and, you know, my, if you don't know this, my wife, uh, I even said it earlier, she's from South Africa, her parents are from South Africa, so look, they, they love America. America's great and all that stuff, but they don't have, like, the connection to July 4th in America that I do. I grew up in the South. I remember going to, like, huge July 4th barbecues, fireworks shows that lasted forever, hugging strangers. I mean, it was just, it was always this splendid and amazing thing. And so um, at, we're kind of rounding up the kids, and Finley and, and James weren't all that interested in the fireworks, so they're running around playing. But it becomes this moment where uh, Canna and Paddles, which is uh, Verity's parents, with the, that's their nicknames, not their real names, um, they, they start watching Finley, and then Verity starts feeding James. So I have this moment to myself. And the firework displays are going, and so I pull out my phone, and I'm like, no firework display is complete without listening to Ray Charles' America the Beautiful, okay? Like, it's just, I'm, I want to sing it right now. I won't. I won't, okay? Um, it's like right on the tip. I want to do it so bad. It's just so awful. I practiced earlier. I was like, I'm not going to do it. Okay. Um, so America the Beautiful, it's just this like incredible song, you know, and Ray's singing it. And, and it's, you know, and, and so like there's a scene from The Sandlot, if you guys remember that movie that comes on in your head, where they can only play one night game a year because the fireworks are going off and America the Beautiful is playing. And so literally, I'm listening to this song. I'm holding a boom box, but I got my phone to my ear. And honestly, guys, I begin to just, I begin to just weep. I, I just start crying. And you guys, I mean, I'm not an overly emotional person, but I mean, I just start like tears start streaming down my face. And it was for two, it was, it was for two different reasons. I began to process these as this was going on. The first one was this overwhelming love and gratitude for being part of this country. Like, like a true love for the United States of America. Like it, it is a beautiful and amazing vision for a nation. It has done incredible and amazing things on behalf of so many different people. 
Like it, it truly is a beacon in many ways of a lot of great things. And so I'm sitting there and I'm just grateful. I'm grateful that I, I do live in a country where we can do this freely. Like let's not take that for granted. Like there are some amazing things. And so I'm sitting there in gratefulness. Like God, thank you for calling me to be a citizen of this place. Secondary citizenship, right? Kingdom of God first, don't mistake me. But a citizen here in, in the United States of America, I'm grateful and in the same emotion, or the same moment, this other emotion conjures up in my heart, and it's one of anger and frustration. That there are things also that do exist as they exist in every nation in the entire world. There are issues of injustice, there's issues of brokenness, there's issues of sin, there's issues of pain. And in my heart, I begin to just have this like wrestle between this beautiful gratefulness for everything that America is and this deep sadness for everything America could be, but isn't. That everything we think sometimes America was, but wasn't. And everything in between. There are some incredibly beautiful and amazing things, but there are also some broken things. And so here, here's why I'm sharing this whole story. It's because I know that both the gratefulness and the anger that welled up in me in that moment were driven by love. I have a deep love for this nation. There's this patriotic moment, this deep love for this place and this, this nation but that same love that drove me to gratefulness drove me to anger and frustration. But it did not drive me to despair or hopelessness. It drove me to a desire for action. It drives me to a desire to say, you know what? It is great and it is broken. And guess what the answer is? And it's the church and it's the gospel. And I get to be part of that. And if you're here and you're a Christian, so do you too. Like you get to be part of the bridging between the brokenness of our culture. And this is true. Listen, this isn't an American Christian thing. This is true for every Christian in every place in the entire world where, guess what? It is not the kingdom of God yet. One day we'll get there. We're not there now. Let's so hear me, church. What we need to be the way of righteous anger is love. A deep and abounding and beautiful love. And listen, this then spreads into, I'm thinking there, and it goes into the church. Gosh, I love the church with like this amazing, like just crazy amount of love for God's church. But I can also say, gosh, some of that love for the church leads me to gratefulness for everything the church is. And then a frustration for everything it should be but isn't. And we get to be about that reconciliatory work where, the, where the, the gospel gets to infiltrate and make the church and make the individual, individual exactly what it is called to be, namely, Jesus. That on a micro level, you and I are to grow up and become Jesus. That on a macro level, the church is to grow up and become Jesus to the world. And righteous anger is part of it. Us living this type of life, this type of way, caring deeply and doing it from a place of love. And so let's, okay, we have this sandbox now. So you want to start talking about your righteous anger. So the how, one, wall one, okay, how? Holy, without sin, 
caring for the welfare of the other. Now, uh, here, let me say this real quick. Sometimes you think, okay, well, if I just continue to care for the welfare of the other, what about the welfare of me, right? And I get that. And listen, I'm not saying neglect you or neglect your family or don't care, don't own any. No, it's saying, listen, ultimately, when things are pressed up upon you, I think your welfare, right, your, your, your desire for, for welfare should seek to bless the other. As Christ did. Now, here's what's beautiful about that vision for life. Is that Anthony, one of my best friends in the whole world, I get to work with him, we get to be together. Listen, if I live in such a way where my desire is for his welfare before my own welfare, I'm also entrusting that Anthony's doing that for me too. And so who cares for me? All of you in this room, right? right? And then who cares for Jeff? Me and everyone else in this room. So if, if you think like, oh, well, what about me? Listen, you've got a billion other people around the world that say they love Jesus, and they're supposed to be about your welfare over their own too. And so the individualistic Christianity thing where we just kind of go siloed doesn't work within the context of what the Bible calls us to. It will falter and fall through if we don't live it within the context of community, within the context of the one another's. It's the only fighting chance we have. So that, that's the how, holy, without sin, the when, and get it done as soon as possible. Whatever angers you, micro, macro levels, pursue reconciliation as soon as you can. Wall three, the why of it, that it would produce good fruit, that it would produce the mission and purpose of God. And wall four, that it would be done in and because of love. Now, if you can, if you can hang out in that reality, if love can motivate your anger, Okay? If, you can, if you can covenant to try and take care of it as soon as you can, pursue that. Right? If you can do it for the sake of the welfare of the other, and if you can push forward the mission of God, be angry about whatever you want. Like, let that anger rise up in you. Paul's imploring the church to do so. Be angry. There's plenty to be angry about. But let's make it the right stuff. Let's make it the things that Jesus, our Savior, was angry about. And so let me read these last three stories, and we're done, and we're just going to bullet it. Don't worry, I'm not going to be here forever. But the classic first story of Jesus getting angry is Jesus in the temple, right? That he comes in, he clears out the temple. It says in John 2, right, that he walks into the outer courts, and he sees that there are all these money changers, and there are all these lenders that are within this part of the court. And here's what I find phenomenal. It's not that he just impetuously in that moment gets up and says, I'm angry and begins to run right away and I wanted to do this but I won't hurt somebody, but just knocks this over, right? He doesn't just start running in and turning. It says, it literally says in John 2 that he fashioned a whip, okay? How many of you have ever fashioned a whip? Okay, I have. No, I haven't. But I'm saying, I can only imagine fashioning said whip must take a moment, Right? That he sees this and he says, you know what? One second. Okay? And he goes and he just starts laying over leather. Right? Swiss braid. (laughs) And comes back with a whip. And our righteous king, angered by what he sees. Why? And he says, my house is what? To be a house of prayer. Ready? For the nations. Because what was happening here, gosh, I, I just want to preach the whole text now, but <laughs> what's happening in the courts is that area of the courts was supposed to be accessible for the Gentiles. 
was supposed to be a place of worship and gathering for those who were not Jewish. And the Jewish people overran it, took it over, and made it about them and their greed. And so Jesus sees this and says, no, 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 my house was to be a house of prayer for the nations where all would be welcome. You have distorted this image. The anger wells up the injustice of what he sees, so he steps back. I think he thinks, my guess is he prays, and he fashions a whip and drives that out of there. And the church, we need to do a similar thing. This wasn't an impetuous anger based on Jesus was just upset about something that was pushing against him. No, no, this was affecting the welfare of the other, and so he thinks, he prays, and he acts. The second one, Jesus and the Pharisees, we see some anger between them from time to time. He says this in Mark 3, 1 through 5, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. As they watched Jesus to see whether he'd heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, the Pharisees, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, it says. Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. You see, the Pharisees were living in a worldly anger that said, you're imposing upon my power, upon my interpretation of the law, upon my etc., etc., etc. And Jesus said, no, you need to give that up. And he experiences righteous anger and heals the man with the withered hand, caring about the welfare of the other over the welfare of himself, which would have seemed crazy that he was healing on the Sabbath. Okay. Last story. Jesus and the disciples. Mark 8, 31 through 33. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. Like there was no debate, no argument. This is what he meant. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. Are you crazy? But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Paul, or sorry, Peter, acting out of an unholy anger, an unholy frustration and discontent, rebukes his Savior. She said, Ah, uh, it's not going to happen. You're being puppeted by Satan right now. Get behind me. This is the way forward. Jesus, in the ultimate act of righteous anger, who hated sin to the point where he laid his entire life down for the sake of the welfare of you and me and all of humanity. So righteous anger is a beautiful and good thing. It was employed by our Savior, must be employed by a people who desire to grow up to become like him for the sake of the world, his glory and our joy. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I want to take a moment, Lord, and just, God, confess my own, just at time, foolish anger. Anger, God, that's focused primarily on me. Anger that seems to be just distant and far from the things you got angry about. God, I, I pray those words from, um, from Paul Miller, God, over us, God, that we would we'd just be open-handed. We'd be a people prepared 
to handle the onslaught of a broken world because, God, we don't hold too tightly to things that, Christ, you did not hold too tightly to, that we would grow up and mature into Jesus. Holy Spirit, please do this work in us. I pray just one more, two more, like a little bit more of transformation over my heart and over the hearts and over the minds and over the souls and over, God, the lives and actions of all who are here. Lord, you looked into the world. You saw pain. You saw brokenness from your holy throne. You are anger at sin. And so, Lord, caring for the welfare of others, you sacrificed your throne. You sacrificed your status, your power. And you came down into this world. And Lord, you did not just come, but you moved through this broken world where there was, I'm certain, plenty to be angry about. When your family, Jesus, said no to you, when your friends betrayed you, when those who called themselves religious and spiritual, when they tried to destroy you, when the empire ultimately did that all along the way, God's sin never entered your heart. And Lord, we pray the same for us. God, not just that you would keep unrighteous and unholy anger far from us, but God, you would cause us, Holy Spirit, to be a people who pursue righteous anger, to pursue the things that you love and you care about for the sake, God, of your mission here in this world. Jesus, we celebrate the gospel. We celebrate, Jesus, that we know you were so confident in who you were. You knew, God, that you were justified. You knew you were perfect. You knew that you had your Father in heaven always smiling down. And, God, you have done the same for your people. We are a justified people, a set-apart people, a people equipped with your Spirit, God, to walk in the difficult way of Jesus. So we remind ourselves of these truths now. Lord, we ask for you to embed them not just in our minds, but cause them to seep deeply into the deepest parts of our hearts. God, that we would think, feel, act, walk, live, and sacrifice the way you have in everything. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.